Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, not a pun, I swear, it's a challenge, to be fair, but time I've had to prepare. All eyes were on the ICA conference, unless you were unaware, but do not despair as our teams share the key points to declare. Looking here and there, consumers beware of difficult to compare insurances. Yes, they just don't care. And a wear and tear clause gives us a scare. The industry needs to beware of their duty of care. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Benny Sam, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Welcome, Terry. Good morning. I'm a little bit Dr. Seuss this week. <laughs> I noticed that, Andrew. I was worrying a little bit about how it scanned, but it wasn't too bad. Oh, thank you. Hello, Benny. Hi, Andrew. Are you a Dr. Seuss fan? Uh, yes, I know. I know. That's controversial. <laughs> Good morning, John. Hello. Do you like green eggs and ham? Never been a big, big fan, but I, I don't mind the Grinch that stole Christmas. That movie's all right. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Do you have a favourite Dr. Seuss quote? My favourite Dr. Seuss book was A Fish Out of Water, actually. So it was, um, when you feed a fish, never feed him a lot, so much and no more, never more than a spot, or something may happen, you never know what. Oh, well done, Wendy. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) So, Wendy, when not reading Dr. Seuss books, you attended the ICA conference for us. What were the key talking points? Yes, well, well, actually, the conference was held... um, pretty much exactly a year after the Northern Victorian flooding, which obviously followed, you know, the record floods in Queensland and New South Wales. So, you know, that issue of how the industry and governments are going to respond to those sorts of events in future and what everyone can do to minimise the risks was, you know, a really big talking point. And with that, the issue of affordability. So, you know, the Assistant Treasurer, Stephen Jones, attended and he spoke about that recent trip with the ICA to Europe where they met with reinsurers and the importance of, in his words, not making dumb decisions like um, building on um, floodplains. But, you know, they really packed a lot of topics into this conference. So APRA and ASIC spoke. There was an update on the reinsurance pool, sessions on cyber and AI and attracting uh, talent. But getting back to the floods, ICA's uh, Andrew Hall said that at one of the sessions that they are looking at whether they should have some sort of standard clause around wear and tear and and maintenance exclusions uh, because the lack of clarity there has been spoken about by the Code Governments Committee, um, ASIC and consumer groups. And then on other issues related to to, to floods and re- resilience, there's a lot of work being done through the, the Hazards Insurance Partnership, which involves, you know, the industry and government. Everyone seems to be on the same page, Terry, at least until the government floods response inquiry gets underway. Yeah. Look, I, I guess we have to accept the fact that the industry is always going to be under the gun when disasters happen so disasters are inevitable so so's criticism people really and politicians particularly under stress need someone to criticize although you have to say that the previous coalition government made it an art form but government speakers at the ICA conference did acknowledge the essential role of insurance and really seem to have have gained a lot more understanding and sympathy with with where the insurance industry is at. So it was good, the Stephen Jones trip. I was really encouraged by Nick Hawkins uh, as ICA chairman as well, saying the industry wants to play an even bigger part in shaping the national agenda and called for policy settings that encourage the greater use of insurance. That's a two-way street. 
at least we're not just sitting around waiting for the next storm of criticism to arrive. We're, we're actually on the front foot at last. And John, my inspiration for today, a standard clause to declare on wear and tear could be interesting. Yeah, there's no doubt the wear and tear issue. It was one of the biggest criticisms to be thrown at the industry this year or so far this year. As Wendy said, the General Insurance Code Governance Committee raised it in July, saying it found issues it cannot ignore. More than half of denied home claims that the, the committee looked at were denied on the basis of wear and tear. And when they were complained about, half were overturned in favour of the consumer. ASIC also raised the issue in its report on claims handling and consumer groups have been very vocal. They say that these exclusions are too broad and they differ from insurer to insurer. Consumers don't know what they have to do either to avoid falling foul of them. So a standard clause could really help, I think. It won't be easy to do because it, uh, by all accounts, it need ACCC approval. But if it's clear and easy for consumers to understand, it should help a lot. But it won't, sell, it won't solve the issue on its own. Uh, I think Andrew Hall also said at, at the conference that homeowners have a lot to do as well. They need to understand that insurance isn't like a warranty. It doesn't replace things that wear out or, or, or break necessarily. And so consumers need to understand that and actually do the maintenance and, and upkeep on their homes that they need to do. Well, while we're on conferences, you were at the NEBA convention last week. How did that go, John? Yeah, really good. It was the first time I'd been to a, a proper NEBA convention. I'd been to sort of bits and pieces through the COVID years. Uh, but uh, yeah, first time NEBA had a, a full-on convention since 2019, I think. Yeah, it was an excellent atmosphere and the social events were, were really good. Some fascinating speakers as well, including Patrick Tiernan from Lloyd's, who spoke on climate. And we, we carried a report on that, which would be interesting for listeners to look back on. There was also a new initiative launched to get more people into the broking profession, which is going to be key as the profession looks looks to the future. The new code was discussed and there's a lot of pride around uh, the improvements that the new code has brought since the last one way back in, I think, 2014. There is still some talk about broker disclosure of commissions and the fact that the new code only requires disclosure for retail clients and not small businesses, as had previously been been the case. I chatted to the chairman of the Broker Code Compliance Committee, and he said he was deeply concerned about it. I get the feeling that even though the small business requirement has been dropped or will be dropped from this code, it might very well be in the next one. Does the commission's issue continue to cast a shadow over the new code, Terry? Yeah, I think it does. I'd like to say it doesn't, but this is a really, really important issue. Oscar Shubb, the, the Code Compliance Committee chairman, is a really top lawyer and he's been around the industry for a long time and he's pretty upset about Niebuhr's decision to exclude disclosure uh, to non-retail customers, which kind of goes against the whole point of a code that fosters transparency. I know that that opposition are within NEBA to disclosure, it's been around forever, but and it's something that Phil Kewen at NEBA is wrestling with, and I, I don't doubt he'll eventually find a solution. I think that there's, John is right, isn't it? There is going to be a review of the new broker's code quite quickly. Funnily enough, it's come around very quickly and, and they'll start to review the code next year. Yeah, well, you know, I know that this issue has been 
kicked down the road. But I really hope that that it gets the sort of profile that it deserves. You know, it's almost like the old referendum comment, if not now, when? Well, building defects don't come as much of a surprise anymore, Bernice, but Perth has a particular issue with bursting pipes. Uh, yeah, so it can be a nightmare really being a house owner. So in this particular case, um, the Perth Builder BGC is saying that the pipes uh, called Profit are defective. Uh, it's made by Fletcher Building and the problem first emerged in 2020 when homeowners reported burst pipes and extensive damage in their kitchens and bathrooms. So BGC says it has attended to more than 1,600 bursts across nearly 1,000 homes. And the WA regulator has also stepped in, basically carrying out its own investigation and inspecting more than 50 properties and coming to the conclusion, basically installation work practices and workmanship were not the cause of the pipe failures. But Fletcher held a briefing on Friday, basically insisting that it's a Perth issue, not a national issue. So uh, they're saying there's nothing wrong with the pipes and that the leaks were caused by faulty installation. So it's basically, you know, he says she says a war of words right now. We'll have to just wait and see whether it gets um whether the ACCC comes out with something saying there should be a national recall. But then again, the products have been pulled off the shelf since uh last year, I think. Um Fletcher is saying that um it was because it's not economical anymore to produce the pipes, so they you know they've stopped selling it. So we we'll just have to wait and see how it goes from here. Yeah. Would insurers be on the hook for this kind of thing, John? Yeah, I think they could be. But ultimately, the answer to that question comes back to the old, um, you know, depends on what your policy says and the circumstances of the loss. As Bernice's story point points out, that there is this view that while the there's there's an exclusion often for uh, faulty workmanship or faulty materials, but um, there's this view that while the faulty work won't be covered by insurers, that any resulting damage would be i had a look at my own policy and it doesn't it doesn't say that it says that i wouldn't be covered for any loss or damage caused by any inherent or built-in or defective or faulty workmanship design or manufacture so that sounds pretty straightforward but it does say i would be covered if i could show that i did not know or could not reasonably have been expected to know about the defective or faulty workmanship so yeah, there, I, I suspect there may well be claims coming out of this. And uh, with the number of pipes going off, as Benice says, it's not a small issue. Well, Wendy, some new research on hail sounds like essential reading for insurers. Yeah, this is research from the University of New South Wales, which shows the number of hail-prone days for uh, heavy, heavily populated parts of New South Wales and Western Australia has increased by as much as 40%. So that indicates places like Sydney and Newcastle, Canberra and Perth. And hail-prone days are ones where the unstable atmosphere has ingredients such as um, moisture and changing wind shears. So even though it might be thought that climate change might decrease the possibility of hail given warming temperatures, greater volatility in the conditions can also have an impact. Well, hail is right up there with the worst insured perils, isn't it, Terry? Yeah, true. The biggest was the the Sydney hailstorm of 1999. That's still one of the biggest insurance events in terms of cost at $1.7 But the one I always remember, the hailstorm I always remember for the lessons it taught me were were two hailstorms that tore through North Sydney in 1991. That came on top of the 1989 Newcastle earthquake, which killed 13, destroyed or damaged 50,000 buildings, etc. 
But the combined cost to insurers from the hailstorms was greater than the total cost of the earthquake. So that really does give you some indication of just how dangerous and volatile hailstorms are when they strike in the right place. Bloody hail. Bernice, campgrounds are continuing to have issues with the affordability and availability of insurance. Yeah, and it's affecting school camps. So if insurers aren't offering insurance to these campgrounds, there's no school camps. So uh, the insurance council is saying that, you know, since 2019, you know, rates have been going up really uh, sharply. Extreme weather risk is one. The other has to do with facilities on campgrounds. So we're talking about things like water slides, jumping pillows, trampolines. So when insurers see these facilities, they basically are seeing increased risk and have, of course, priced in the risk. So what we get is, premiums have uh, higher premiums. So um, one underwriting agency told us that rates have basically gone up three to 400% in the last uh, three to four years, but they have since stabilized. So at the moment, we're talking about annual base premiums of about five to $7,000. That's just base premiums alone. So um, the ICA is engaging with key insurers, broker, underwriting agencies to try to find ways to address the matter and um, encouraging the sector to engage in... Um, Mitigation measures is one way of helping the uh, situation. Yeah. Why has this been such a problem in recent years, John? Well, I think the market has been hardening generally, hasn't it? But also camping grounds have, have been hit by by two major problems. The first is the extreme weather events that we've had, bushfires, floods, and these campgrounds tend to be in the countryside, don't they, near rivers or or in, in the bush? And then there's the public liability side. Uh, the, there are huge claims sometimes for for injuries and this has put a lot of pressure on on premiums on that side i mean personally i I find it a bit hard to believe that things like jumping pillows and water slides and trampolines are so dangerous that uh, you know they're uninsurable and and we can't have them anymore but i guess the insurers have better data than than i do so uh, i have to leave that to them but where it goes now i don't know i think i think as benice says a lot of it comes down to risk mitigation and now that the market is calming down a little bit if if these campgrounds can show that they're taking things seriously and putting putting risk mitigation in place, then that will help them a lot. Um, we've got to have school camps, though, don't we? I mean, it's a, it's about the only break us hardworking parents get. Spoken like a true parent, John. Well, finally, Terry, the Insurance News magazine is winging its way to subscribers. What are the highlights of this issue? Yep, the mag will be popping up this week in, in mailboxes, physical and technological, so be prepared. Remember how we started the wellness survey in an insurance news magazine to measure how people in the in the industry were coping with COVID lockdowns and stuff, and then we kept going because it's become a fascinating to, way to see how we're all personally coping. Well, in, in this year's survey, we're well past COVID now but we're facing a whole new range of pressures that need to be understood and dealt with. There's really some quite extreme things happening, not just in the insurance industry, but also in the the wider business community. And they, they really do need attention. The latest edition is also, of course, packed with analysis of how our insurers, brokers and reinsurers are, are tracking, which is pretty much essential reading for anybody who wants to understand what's happening in this industry. We've interviewed the global chief of WTW, formerly Willis Towers Watson. He is really a fascinating guy and and especially 
talking about recovering from the failed merger were they on? We've got outgoing ANZIF CEO, Prue Wilsford, uh, interviewed as well, and talking about her achievements and setting the industry on a path to professionalism and what professionalism really involves. That's pretty important too. There's also a special feature on a couple of my favourite people, the our pet insurance pioneers, Doug and Gwen Ford, and their growing global empire. So there's all that and a whole lot more in uh, this issue. It's a, it's a real beauty. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, Benice Han, John Deeks, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.